we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is political and policy analyst Kristen Matheny. Hey, Kristen. Mike, how are you? I am, well, kind of exhausted by this crazy week, as I imagine <laughs> you are too. Yes, just a tad, just it's a been, tad. Yeah, it's been something keeping up. But before we get to that, I wanted to thank some new supporters of the show. Uh, there's Joel, who uh, recently increased his Patreon uh, pledge to the show. Thank you, Joel. We appreciate that. Jessica, a new supporter on Patreon. Uh, and Kevin, also a new supporter from the San Francisco Bay Area, who wrote in, I've been listening for a couple of years now and routinely share episodes with friends and family. I love everything the Politics Guys does and the critical thinking behind the discussions and comments on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Kevin. We, we, we try for the critical thinking and we appreciate that you appreciate it. And then finally, uh, Mike, who I mentioned on last week's show, but I didn't get a chance to read uh, the great message he says. And so I'd like to share that with everyone. Mike writes... Thank you so much for putting this show on. I've been religiously listening over the last year or so and have gotten to the point where my Saturday runs are timed out so that I can listen to a new episode. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Trey will especially like that because Trey's the, the runner in our group there. Um, anyway, he writes, uh, I, I'm excited now to be able to listen to the bonus show. And I wanted to let you know that I'm someone who voted for Trump, but based on the last two years, I'm embarrassed by that. That being said, this extreme left shift I'm seeing in the Democratic Party makes me very nervous that I will be forced to vote for Trump again. Again, love the show. Keep up the great work. I really believe in what you're doing. And I thought that message from Mike was especially appropriate, Kristen, because that, that's going to tie into some stuff that I think we'll get to this week. And actually a question or two that I have for, for you and Jay and, you know, in, in, in future weeks, some of our conservative hosts about about that kind of leftward shift and voting for Trump and red lines mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, um. Thanks, everyone. If you want to become a supporter and get access to the bonus show and our quick take and all that stuff, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash politics guys, or you can just go to politicsguys.com slash support. We really do appreciate it. Okay, to the business at hand. Well, you know, we got subpoenas flying, we've got congressional investigations, we got President Trump calling accusers close to spies and suggesting that, well, you know, maybe the chair of the House Intelligence Committee should be arrested for treason. Um, <laughs> word of a just lately word of a potential second whistleblower who has more direct knowledge of uh, the White House's dealings with Ukraine than the initial whistleblower. It's It's been crazy trying to keep track of everything. So what I thought maybe we could do, Kristen, is to, to kind of take some time to separate what we actually know from mm -hmm. what we think we know and what we might believe could be possible and what we feel and all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty hard with this with this whole Ukraine scenario to yeah. separate those two, because I found myself doing the same thing. I made a list of facts, just like you did, yeah. things that we know. 
And it every time I listed a fact and I and I would do a little bit of research or I would think about what I saw on the news, you know, on whatever channel it was, I would start to drift into that conjecture territory. Yeah. And I, I don't know that it's so that it's entirely possible to separate the two, but we will try. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's exactly what I did. And I thought, you know, I, I tried really yeah. hard to focus on just the clear facts and I tried to put them in some sort of a coherent order. And so if, you know, if, and I thought just for me, that helped me out considerably in trying to wrap my head around this. And I thought, well, you know, this might actually be pretty helpful for listeners too, who are just being bombarded by all of these stories to kind of pull back and, and, and you know, be able to see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay, so so here we go. Here and, and uh, here are the facts as I understand them in what I think is the most coherent order. Uh, number one, we know that President Trump asked UK, Ukraine's president for several favors, including that Ukraine investigate Hunter and Joe Biden. That's been pretty clearly established because we have the uh, we have the White House acknowledging that yes, this in the uh, the transcript basically or the mm -hmm. record, the uh, whatever. Not exactly the transcript, but the summary of the transcript. Um, secondly, we know that national security officials assigned a special clearance to the conversation, uh, the transcript of it, one that hadn't previously been used for conversations of a similar nature. Now, as to why that's the case, that gets into speculation, but we do know that it was given special status, right? Um, mm -hmm. We know that prior to that call, President Trump ordered that $400 million or right around $400 million in military aid to Ukraine that was authorized by Congress, that that would be withheld due to what the administration says are corruption concerns. Um, mm -hmm. We also know that President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who's a private citizen, not part of government, has for quite a while been actively pressuring Ukrainian officials to investigate the Bidens. Uh, we know that in the phone call with the Ukrainian president, President Trump specifically asks him to speak with Giuliani on the corruption investigation issue. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that State Department officials in a text exchange, one of the officials, Bill Taylor, wrote, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. But then following a long pause in this text stream, another diplomat, Gordon Sondland, responded that President Trump has been crystal clear about no quid pro quos. Uh, mm -hmm. We also know that Hunter Biden, who joined the board of Bur Burisma, sorry, he joined it at a salary of $50,000 per month. He had almost no responsibilities. And this was at a time when his father was vice president. Uh, we know that Hunter Biden had no real background in energy, oil policy. Uh, and this was that this seems at a time when his father was vice president, uh, seems a reasonable person would conclude that what Bur Bur Burisma was buying was access to the vice president. Now, Mm -hmm. This is something we don't know, but I think it strains credulity to the breaking point to argue that Hunter Biden was in was separate from his relationship to his father and the administration somehow get, brought something to the table that wasn't that, <laughs> that a whole bunch of other people wouldn't have brought to right. the table much more. He was so, hardly an expert on Ukrainian business dealings yes, and politics. Exactly. <laughs> right. That being said. There's no evidence at all of either Hunter or Joe Biden doing anything corrupt or illegal. Um, we also know that as vice president, Joe Biden ac actively pushed as part of an international effort to remove the prosecutor in Ukraine uh, mm -hmm. because he was refusing to investigate corruption in companies like Burisma. And this is. The same prosecutor that Donald Trump on that phone call is on the record is calling very good and very fair, which, as far as I can tell, no one aside from President Trump seems to <laughs> hold that same view. Um, we also know that the Ukrainian president denies being pressured or coerced by anyone. I think he said the only one who pressures me is my 16 year old son, uh, basically. Yes. Um, but. He is we a comedian that, after all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we would expect <laughs> that, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, we also know that Ukraine's new chief prosecutor said on Friday that his office will conduct an audit 
of the investigation into Biden, although he also said that he's unaware of any wrongdoing on the part of either Joe or Hunter Biden. And finally, we know that so far there is no smoking gun or direct quid pro quo agreement offering aid in exchange for a corruption investigation. So I think that pretty much hits all of the main things that we know as opposed to the things that we could speculate about. Does that seem does that seem about right? Does that does that track pretty well with your list? Yeah, I I think I have a list here going as well alongside my notes for the show and you hit pretty much everything that I had written down um which I think speaks to the complexity of this issue and why I I still haven't met anybody who is a Democrat or a Republican that's able to definitively say, yes, this happened or no, this didn't happen because this is so muddied and so muddled, you know, so I I do think you you hit all of the points and I have to commend you because you were you were pretty unbiased when you did it. So, well, I I, I did my best, (laughs) like I said, to try to separate the things I wanted to believe from the things that I think I believe and the things that I know. Um. Now, there have been this week uh, another kind of related thing, at least that people are kind of tying together, is the Attorney General Barr, who has asked other countries for help in his 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 investigation of the Mm -hmm. investigators. And that's that investigation that the Justice Department launched about whether or not elements of the intelligence community were engaged in some sort of an effort to hurt Donald Trump's election chances. Now, to me. That's a separate thing. I can get how people are kind of conflating these two things. But what makes it separate to me is that is a legitimate investigation that's going on through proper channels. Now, having said that, (laughs) I, I, I certainly believe that it's possible that Barr is being driven by partisan motives and maybe the report that his investigator produces will be highly partisan, but I don't know that. And I want to wait till I see the report. And so, you know, there are some people on the left who are pointing out that the attorney general is taking an unusual interest in this case. And I agree, but given the magnitude of the charges, it seems to me to be entirely appropriate for the attorney general Mm -hmm. to take great interest because, hey, if the intelligence, if there is actually if there was actually the intelligence community acting in such a way to try to hurt or try to influence an election, that to me is that's pretty that's pretty significant. And so uh, that's why I say this really seems to me to be a separate sort of a, a thing. And I don't think we should we should conflate them. I agree. I'm I'm right there with you. You know, um, then there's that thing where Donald Trump a few days ago publicly called on China to look into mm-hmm. the Bidens as well. And, and I was wondering, so how do you see that kind of fitting into this context of the Ukraine thing? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think it, it falls kind of into the into a different category from th- what you mentioned just now with Attorney General Barr, um, because it's 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 kind of dipping your toe into two different pools. I mean, obviously, you're talking about Joe Biden. Anything, anything, anytime that President Trump mentions Joe Biden, it's clearly politically motivated. So this is something that it, this would be something that is purely politically motivated. Um, as for, you know, separating this from the from everything going on with the Ukraine, I think we kind of have to do that because they're two separate things. This is what the House Intelligence Committee is investigating. They're specifically investigating these claims regarding the Ukraine. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I guess that's my take. Well, you know what? What uh, was interesting well, on that? What Ben Sass had to say, the senator from Nebraska, he said, uh, <laughs> "Americans don't look to Chinese commies for the truth. If the Biden right. kid broke laws by selling his name to Beijing, that's a matter for American courts, not communist tyrants running torture camps." Which, okay, number one, geez, he was he was clearly pl- you know playing to the playing to the cheap sheets cheap seats out there. It's kind of a, mm-hmm. a hyperbole laced sort of thing, but. You know, I think there's uh, I think there's something to be said for that. I was wondering what you thought about Sass's comments. <laughs> ben Sass is an interesting guy. Um, I, I I can't say that I blame him, but I think you could kind of say the same thing about things going on in the Ukraine, because this is not exactly a country that's been on the up and up in terms of being honest and open and free of corruption. So I think um 
you know, and again, I don't want to get too far into the Ukraine issue um, because I I assume we're probably going to talk about that a lot more. But I think when it comes to China, I think Ben Sass makes a point, but I think it was hyperbolic. Yeah. I, I think uh, a more sort of measured way of making that same point was well, in, in Mitt Romney's statement, where uh, if you haven't heard it, folks, it's uh, mm-hmm. he, he uh, said, when the only American citizen President Trump singles out for China's investigation is his political opponent in the midst of the Democratic nomination process, it's strange credulity to suggest that it is anything other than politically motivated. By all appearances, the president's brazen and unprecedented appeal to China and to Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden is wrong and appalling. Now, that's a, that's a much stronger statement, and it mm-hmm. kind of goes more directly at Donald Trump. And it fits in. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better than Mitt Romney. So what did you what was your reaction to Romney's statement there? Well, Mitt Romney is, is, is a troublesome character because I, I think it's impossible um, to separate bias from all of this. You know, this, this idea that Democrats say that they're not acting with any sort of bias, Republicans saying they're not acting with any sort of bias, all political players act with a, a fair amount of bias, if not a strong amount of bias. And Mitt Romney's no exception. He doesn't like President Trump. He doesn't like him. He doesn't want to see him reelected. Um, he's he's there. He's there to basically be a wall for for President Trump. That's I, I believe that that's why he ran for office again. And I think that when he talks about China, I think he makes to be fair. I think he's He's saying something that's true. Um, call, President Trump calling on China to investigate the Biden specifically is entirely politically motivated. I think it becomes problematic when you bring Ukraine into it because I think you could argue something else as well. So I think in in Mitt Romney's case, I think part of what he's saying, there's some truth to it. I think part of what he's saying is conjecture yeah. on his part because we really haven't determined what the motivation with whether there was something quid pro quo going on with the Ukraine between President Trump and the Ukraine. I mean, there there are a lot of questions involved there. So, you know, I, I, I'll give them a little bit of of, a, of, a, of the benefit of the doubt with China. The rest of it, I don't know. I, well, he might have just been lumping those two together, which I think is problematic. Well, one that to me, one of the most troublesome aspects is the fact that a lot of this seems to have been spearheaded by the president's personal attorney. And it's one thing. It seems to me to launch a official investigation with uh, with, you know, duly either elected or appointed uh, uh, members of the United States government to look into corruption. But it's something else entirely when your personal attorney is meeting with uh, high level officials. And when, in fact, the president of the United States says to the president of another country, hey, my personal attorney, Rudy, he's going to be coming over and uh, help him out with this thing. I don't see how how that is, even if, and you know, I've said this before, even if Hunter Biden is guilty of all kinds of corruption and we have no evidence of that whatsoever, how that is remotely ethical, how that is not just completely corrupt in involving your encouraging heads of state to work with your personal attorney on an investigation of your political opponent and, and pretty clearly linking it to uh, U.S. assistance. I, I don't I don't understand any world in which that does not just say seem completely and utterly corrupt. Maybe, you know, maybe you can help me out on this. I probably can't help you out on okay. this because I, I said um, I, I would agree with you to some extent. Um, I, I said last week we did a, um, a bonus show episode with I, I think it was me, you and Jay. Yeah. And we were talking a lot about Rudy Giuliani. And what I said when we were <clears throat> doing this bonus show was I said that I think he's not only do I think it's inappropriate to put him in this position um, to sort of elevate his position to. Um, something more than what it is other than being a personal attorney for the president. But I also think as much as I have a lot of respect for for Giuliani, and I've said this in the past, I have a lot of respect for him for what he did in New York. I I think he 
He did a wonderful job as mayor. Um, I have respect for him as a person. I think he's a terrible mouthpiece for this because, um, and I, I mentioned this uh, last week, um, he was he, all over the pundit shows. I won't say news shows because yeah. they are pundit shows on, on Fox News. Um, and I watched him on Laura Ingram, which I think was his first appearance because I was curious to see what, what would he address this in some substantive way? You know, would right. he talk about it? And he didn't. I, I think that Rudy Giuliani is probably not an appropriate mouthpiece for any of this. And I think he's he's not a great mouthpiece either. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I can't really shed too much light on it other than the fact that, you know, again, this isn't anything you don't know. The president, Donald Trump values loyalty above it seems like almost everything else sometimes. And he takes these personal relationships very seriously. He's had a personal relationship with Rudy Giuliani that spans decades, yeah. decades, you know, just because of their New York connections and their business connections. And, um, you know, he he tends to to keep that very, very close, even even as president, he's kept that close. And I'm not surprised that he gave Rudy Giuliani this position. Um, do I think he's the best mouthpiece or even an appropriate mouthpiece? No, yeah. no, I don't. You know, it, it seems to me that that Donald Trump, uh, his his M.O. on this is basically to not make and I don't even know if he understands the distinction between himself and the state. You know, is that old that old Louis the Fourteenth uh, quote? I am the state. And I think. Donald Trump, in some way, might actually not think he's doing anything wrong in his brain. I could totally envision him thinking, well, I was elected president and that means I can do whatever I want, essentially, to to, to stay in office, to win reelection, to destroy my opponents. And any person who helps me is helping the country by definition. And anyone who says anything against me is uh, almost a spy or treasonous as, you know, and and I'm sure you, you found that his calls on Twitter for, you know, arresting Adam Schiff for treason or saying (laughs) that uh, the whistleblower, the so-called whistleblower, which is the GOP talking point that it seems to me is add the so-called is almost a spy. And you know, we used to do the spies uh, that, I mean, I'm sure you find that just reprehensible, right? Um, I, I think that he go, I mean, I, I've made no secret on the show about how I think he goes way overboard on Twitter. I think he, you know, speaks like somebody who is a businessman. He, I do agree with you that he's still, you know, at his heart underneath, you know, underneath, underneath the presidential, I guess the presidential cloak, he is still Donald Trump. And for all the things that, you know, that I do appreciate about him, that isn't one of them. And so you sort of, I guess you, you, you hit a sore spot for me is his communication. And I, and again, like, you know, I, I voted for Donald Trump. I'll probably be voting for him again, but that is one thing that has always bothered me is, is the messaging. But, you know, I, I think rather than talk about, um, sort of these issues with Donald Trump messaging, because I agree with you, um, Something that I don't think and I wanted to I really wanted to be sure to bring this up, something I don't think that Republicans are talking nearly enough about. And I think that that we need to be sort of, I guess, reversing our talking point. We need to focus less on the whistleblower and more on the key question, which is whether the Trump administration was sort of conditioning this like better behavior and more aid to the Ukraine in an effort to get Biden specifically, or whether this was part of a larger corruption, sort of this culture of corruption, trying to do away with it. And I think that that's something, you know, I watched a ton of, I don't usually watch a lot of news. I watch it at night here and there. And I, and I do flip around from channel to channel because I believe in making up my own mind. And, um, you know, that was something that I saw again and again and again from from pundits um, was just ignoring that main issue. And that really is the key issue. And it should be what the House Intelligence Committee, I guess it's not the Judiciary Committee, which is a whole other issue, but the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, this is what they should be focusing on, is this key question. And I think that that's why a lot of people in the know are so confused about this issue, because we do have this really long history 
predating President Trump, going back to the Obama administration, um, Democrat, I mean, Joe Biden was one of the first people to to step out of line and say, hey, you know, um, he bragged about withholding aid. Like you had mentioned this before, he bragged about withholding, I think it was like $1 billion in loan aid to the Ukraine over corruption. I mean, this is something that's that's not new. And so there's been this, I guess, this history of the U.S. accusing Ukraine of having of you know dealing with corrupt actors and you know having corrupt politicians I know like uh back in 2018 you might have read this and I had totally forgotten about this there were three US senators all democrats who wrote to the Ukrainian government and told them that basically in no uncertain terms that they were going to withhold aid if they didn't yeah. cooperate in the Mueller probe. So this is not something that's new. I, I love this idea that people think this is like some new thing. This isn't. And I think that's the real question. It's so hard to tell. You know, is this something that's specifically pointed at Biden, sort of like his, you know, Donald yeah. Trump's comments about China? This That was clearly all about Biden. He's just talking out of turn, which, again, you know, right. I have my feelings about that. But the, this is why the Ukraine question is is so complex. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted I really wanted to be sure to, to add that because it's, it's been driving me nuts all week. We're not focused on that. And that's the question of this pre-inquiry inquiry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that the, the fundamental question is, well, on the one hand, if Aid was being withheld because of concerns about corruption in general. And Donald Trump was simply using Joe Biden and Hunter Biden as what he felt to be the most prominent example of that. That's one thing. But if there was a concerted effort on the part of the administration to focus on Joe and Hunter Biden and use the general corruption thing as a cover, and that's the same thing with the the crowd strike server and all that, that it was first political and Mm -hmm. then the corruption thing is just basically a fig leaf to put over it. Well, then that that's beyond the pale. Right. Yeah, no, no I, I agree with that. And I think that's what we, I, I mean, I want answers. I'm I'm a Republican and I want answers. I would like to know, you know, just I said the same thing when before the Mueller probe officially started and things really began sort of kicking off. I remember Democrats, my Democratic friends saying to me, you know, like, well, do, you know, you just want this Mueller probe to be over. And I was like, no, absolutely. I don't. I think it should go forward. I encourage it. I don't think he should fire Bob Mueller. I, you know, I, I want to see this go on because I like the truth, just like you do. That's yeah. that's what we want. Um, and I and I, like I said before, I think it's impossible to separate you know, bias, things like bias and conjecture from from fact, you know, was this politically motivated? Yeah, but everything is politically motivated. And so I think the question is how politically motivated was it? You know, was was the motivation to specifically target Hunter and Joe Biden or or was it kind of part of the picture? I mean, really, all of this hinges on the Bidens. Yeah. So, you know, I think your point about this, you know, whether or not Joe, you know, Hunter Biden deserved this position as is sort of um, not the point. I I, I agree with you, but I I think we need to figure out what the motivation was. And that that hinges on the Bidens. And, and, you know, we're never there's never going to be a smoking gun absent something like, for instance, Mike Pence just going totally rogue and saying, you know what, actually, yes, the president told me this and, you know, he was all, it was all, or, or Rudy Giuliani losing what's left of his marbles. And I mean, none of that's going to happen. So it's never, I'm sure there never was clearly a quid pro quo sort of thing. I mean, but mm-hmm. it was, it's what you can infer from that. And I agree, you know, with, with Mitt Romney's interpretation of that, but you know, it occurred to me that this is becoming an easier and easier decision for me because I I dislike Donald Trump immensely as a person. I feel just in his in his uh, how he comports himself. I feel he's done huge damage to the institution of the presidency and all that kind of stuff. But and also I dislike almost all of his policies, his judicial appointments. And now there is what seems to me an increasing amount of evidence that he's committed what I believe to be uh, an impeachable and, and removal worthy offense. But but then I was thinking about you, Kristen, you know, you, of course, you don't really care for Trump as a person, but no. you like a lot of his policies, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, and you like mm-hmm. a lot of his judicial appointments. And so I feel for me, 
Trump's crossed my red line, and I'm kind of with Elizabeth Warren here. I feel like, based on what I know, there would be enough for me to go ahead and vote to impeach and to and to convict um, and remove. But I was wondering, so w- what about you? You know, because there, there's obviously there's a there's a balance kind of question here, you know, for a lot, I think for a lot of conservatives, you know, where kind of the corruption and potential damage to the country and its institutions kind of outweighs the positives that a lot of people on the right see from the policies. And even more than that, the judicial appointments, as as I pointed out uh, in a show I did with Jay not too long ago, you know, Donald Trump has already appointed something like a quarter of all the appellate court judges. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's huge. Right. And so how do you how do you weigh that? I mean, is there is there a point at which you would say, you know, no matter how much good I think he's doing in judicial appointments and policies, this is just too much? I think that that I could reach a point if I didn't know if if I didn't feel in my heart. And again, here we go with the conjecture, but I I, I can't separate it here. I feel in my heart that from the start, from before he even took office, I think Democrats have been looking to, I think they've sort of been throwing it all on the wall to see what sticks. And I think that um, I've seen this pattern, especially in in the Democratic caucus, uh, the shift to the left, um, this idea that they were going to impeach, you know, uh, Tlaib said herself, you know, we'll impeach the MFR. Um, and this has sort of been their rallying cry from the start. And I think they've been, I, they've been looking for a reason to do this. And again, you know, I go back to the idea that an impeachment doesn't mean he's going to be gone. And I think that's I I mentioned this in the bonus show last week, but that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand is that it's such a process. I mean, feasibly, I and again, conjecture again, but I think that what Pelosi and a lot of Democrats are thinking is that they'll sort of tie this uh, label of impeachment or at least the term impeachment to this president going into the 2020 election, which is why her comments about, um, you know, maybe the maybe they'll lose the House or maybe they'll lose the presidency sort of sacrifice, self-sacrifice like, confused me because I thought, well, then what, what are you doing this for? Um, but I, you know. I think that this is a pattern. This is something that's been going on for a long time. Um, I I was I tried to remain very impartial during the, the Mueller investigation. I said from the start that I wanted to see what, you know, the Mueller investigation came up with. I saw I read I didn't read the whole thing because it was very long, but I read most of it. I, I tried to get through it. I analyzed it as best I could from an unbiased perspective. I did. I didn't see the connections that I think the Democrats were hoping to see people like Adam Schiff really promised the world. And, and they said that they had these smoking guns and they had the evidence and they had the facts. And, and in the end, it wasn't there. Um, and I feel like this comes up again and again and again. And this is the last couple of years has been all about trying to get Trump. And and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but it's taking away from a lot of bigger issues that we could be tackling as a country. I mean, we've got a lot of things going on right now that really both sides could get behind. We've got this crisis at the border, immigration, which we've talked about at length on the show. Um, You know, we've got issues regarding gun control and, and gun safety and um, you know, we've got a, a, a huge drug epidemic going on in, across this country from, you know, from coast to coast. And I think that that all of this is taking away from that. And so I think um, I have a lot of Democratic friends who feel tired, kind of like um, the, the listener who wrote in. Was it Mike who wrote in and said, you know, mm-hmm. th- there's a shift to the left and, um, you know, he's just not sure he may be forced to vote for Trump again. I don't feel forced to vote for Trump again, but unless I see definitive and again like it's it's not going to come out with with this we're not going to know for sure whether there's this smoking gun that links trump to this quid pro quo um scenario but you know unless we see something that's definitive that to me changes my mind and it could i'm i'm not somebody who's you know a, a diehard trump fan you know bleeding red I'm I'm willing to listen to the facts, but unless I see it and I haven't yet, um, I, I'm not willing to to throw in the towel because I just I think the threat of social I mean, frankly, I think the threat of socialism, you know, and, and having somebody like Biden or Warren in office is, is just I think it's right. too much for me to think about. So, so, anyway, so, so basically, no, no, no. So basically at this point, I mean, what to me seems like 
just uh, incontrovertibly clear case of the president abusing his power uh, again. And, and to me, it's it's a it's a pattern of things. And more and more people, you know, from the State Department are coming out and and the involvement of Rudy Giuliani. To me, this is there's there's no doubt. In in my well, there's almost no doubt in my mind. Ninety eight, let's say, percent sure. But but to you, there is a lot more doubt. And and again, you know, I, something I always tell my my students in in class. You know, everyone's biased, mm-hmm. and it's not a question of if they are. And so, from my point of view, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that the president has not clearly abused his power to the extent that he needs to be removed from office at this point. But, and, and, but from your point of view, you're saying, nope, you need more. Oh yeah. I, I, I need, I need evidence. I, I do need proof of it. You know, this is, and you know, when you were talking just now, I, I, I tried to put myself in your shoes conversely. And I thought, you know, I remember during the Obama administration getting really upset and I'm not somebody who really gets upset about politics per se which is mm-hmm. unusual i think Some, sometimes people say you need to be more passionate about these things and i'm like no you know i i think about policy and stuff like that and i i remember getting really upset and that surprised me um during the obama administration about some of the things that 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 his you know officials were doing as well um eric holder in particular you know he he crossed lots of ethical lines in my mind and i had to actually step back and think to myself but i'm a republican looking through a republican lens right. i don't like these people. I don't want to see them in all. I don't know them. You know, I, I can't say I don't like these people. I, I'd rather say I don't like them as politicians. I don't agree with their policy. Um, I don't think they're doing the right thing for our country. And that's the lens that I'm viewing this through. And I, you know, I, I that's not lost on me. The fact that, you know, we all look through this with it with a different lens. Um, you know, I try to be as unbiased as possible. But like you said, my my, you know, capstone in grad school was about implicit bias. I mean, yeah. it, it's everybody has implicit bias. It's there whether we try to filter it or not. And so looking at this case as a as a Republican, I, I yeah, I mean, I think it's it. It goes without saying that I would like to see more proof before because nobody wants to be wrong. Sure. You know, no, <laughs> sure. Nobody wants to be wrong. If if you turn out to be wrong or I turn out to be wrong, I just I just don't think that that we're going to that it's going to be that definitive in yeah. this case. And I I would like to see more. I would. And I and I will go on the record saying I would like for this investigation to keep or this pre investigation to keep going and to to figure out what's going on i want to see what's you know if there was quid pro quo going on i'd like to hear from more trump officials i'd like to hear about what was going on with the biden's because you know biden sort of positioned himself as this i guess intermediary between the obama administration and the ukrainian government and there was this history of corruption so i would like to know what was going i'd like to know everything before i make a decision and i just i don't know i don't know that we're going to get there in the next year and a half yeah, well, it, it sounds like to me that that what I'm hearing you saying is that while you acknowledge that there's not going to be a smoking gun, a, a tape where Donald Trump says they're going to do this, they're going to investigate Biden or they don't get the money, you know, that's not going to happen, obviously. But no, but you're not saying that you, that that's. The only thing that would convince you, but it would take a considerable more weight of the evidence, maybe if, let's say, half a dozen more top State Department people who were in on these things testified that there was a quid pro quo, maybe that might possibly sway you. So your your mind isn't totally made up, but you need a lot more than what you're hearing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the same with the Mueller investigation. I felt like, well, let's let's find out. You're making these big allegations. Let's find out the truth. Um, but again, you know, I, it can't be overstated that I'm looking at this, you know, as a Republican. I don't want to be wrong. You know, I voted for President Trump. Um, the, the thought of electing, um, you know, one of the, the one of the people standing on the Democratic debate stage to be president just is it's really, uh, you know, it's 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 to me, it's just a terrifying thought. But, you know, well, well, I let guess me, I would let me ask you. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it just occurred to me that, well, yeah. <laughs> you could make the argument that sort of the principled never Trump Republican stance would be to say, let's uh, 
let's impeach and remove this corrupt man whose policies we like and replace him with Mike Pence, whose policies we like, who would not be nearly as corrupt because it would almost be impossible to be as corrupt. I mean, you, you can make now, obviously, uh, President Pence running for reelection with this little time and so forth, that would be a tough sell. And there's no way in hell that Donald Trump would campaign for him. But I mean, you, yeah, I could see that argument being kind of like, well, I like the policies, but I don't like the man. And more than that, I believe the man's corrupt. So I'm going to throw my support behind removing him and supporting Mike Pence for president. Well, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I, I'm not a, I'm not a never Trumper. Um, I have a handful of friends who are, um, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It's hard for me to think it's actually harder for me to put myself in the shoes of somebody like that than somebody who is a Democrat looking at this because huh. I, okay. I think it's, and I know that sounds strange and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just realizing this now as I'm talking to you, but it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine a world where president Pence, <laughs> see, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a very strange scenario, but I do have a handful of, of never Trump or Republican friends. And as far as I can tell, they're also not in favor of a Pence presidency either, because now they've tied him to Trump because I've actually, I, I have, yeah. I'm thinking of one friend of mine in particular who is, um, she's a, a, a conservative Catholic activist. Um, and we disagree on a lot of things, but she's, you know, I guess at her core, she's conservative. We were both, uh, Bush supporters back in the day. And I guess that's, you know, where we can see eye to eye a little bit. But, um, you know, I was talking to her about it and I said, so what she, she's all for impeachment. And I asked her, this was a while ago, I asked her, so what's the end game? Is the end game a President Pence? It's the same question I've asked, you know, friends of mine who are Democrats. And I was surprised because I thought she would say, oh, yes, yes, President Pence. Yay. But no, she she said that he's too closely tied to Trump. He's part of it now. He's corrupt. He's this. He's that. I thought that was a really interesting take and not one I was expecting. I don't know. Well, well, we certainly will be talking a lot more about this in in the weeks <laughs> to come. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe this would be a good time for us to to move on. And I know we were originally going to talk about, uh, uh, we were originally going to be talking about next the uh, uh, judges ruling on the Harvard admissions case, but I, I was wondering if maybe we could stick with national politics and the Bidens and, and, and the race and all that kind of yeah. thing. And maybe talk a little <laughs> bit about um, uh, uh, Bernie's heart, the 2020 Democrats. You know, you mentioned, of course, the uh, uh, the fact that all of this impeachment stuff is really uh, in, taking the focus off of a lot of other things, including, I would say, in a lot of ways, the Democratic race. And so, you know, would, would it would it be OK if we shifted to that? Oh, ab absolutely. And I think it's actually a better a, a better transition too. because yeah. the as interesting as the Harvard admissions case is, this might be more in line with what we're discussing. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I exactly. agree. I agree. <laughs> so, OK, so let's talk about uh, what's going on over on the left hand side of the aisle. So this was a big week in in both good and bad ways for Democrats generally. And there were a few sort of stunning news stories that emerged. I was surprised by the Bernie thing. I don't know if you were, Mike, but I was surprised. Um, on Tuesday, we found that out. Tuesday was a big news day, by the way. I realized that when I was writing these notes. A lot of things happened on Tuesday. Um, we found out that the presidential candidate, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, was admitted to a hospital in Las Vegas after experiencing chest pains. And that was all the news we had on Tuesday. And his campaign quickly issued a statement uh, in the news saying that he was being treated for a blockage in one artery, which I think made a lot of people go, hmm. Um, but then on Friday, so this was just yesterday, Sanders' doctor released a statement that he'd had um, basically a heart attack, a myocardial infarction, uh, which is a heart attack. It's the medical term for heart attack. Um, probably a mild one. That was kind of what people surmised. The procedures to place stents reportedly went well. Sanders was being released. He said he felt good. Um, and his campaign also said he'd be taking part in the next Democratic debate, which was which is slated for, I think, October 15th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's not a lot to add, but, it, you know, it's interesting because and we'll talk about this. He came out on top with third quarter uh, donation. You know, his third quarter earnings were on top. Um, so yeah. he's he's been kind of having he was kind of having like the best quarter ever. 
And then this happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I loved his tweet afterwards. He said, uh, uh, "None of us know. None of us knows when a medical emergency might affect us, and no one should fear going bankrupt if it occurs." Medicare for all. <laughs> it's a very Bernie kind of thing. But he's always you know, Bernie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, here we have a seventy-eight-year-old guy, right? I mean, this is this has right. been. We've talked about it a lot more with Biden, who's 76. Of course, Elizabeth Warren's not young either. She's 70. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was Trump when he was not young either. No, when he was sworn in, he was the oldest person to be sworn <laughs> mm -hmm. in as president for the first time. So this is a thing that obviously can happen. And if you take a look at before we get to the fundraising, if you take a look at the polling numbers, I mean, what jumps out to me, aside from the fact that uh, that. Uh, Biden is losing a lot of his big early lead, which has built a lot on name recognition, of course, is that, you know, Bernie had a pretty big name recognition lead. It was kind of Biden and Bernie, if we look back in May and June and yep. so forth, and everyone else. And then kind of looking at the whole field, there was this sort of blip for Harris that's that's just totally gone mm -hmm. away now. She's fallen back into the pack. And aside from that, the one clear thing has been Elizabeth Warren just steadily moving up to the point now where she's just about even with Joe Biden, slightly below that. And so you add that up with with uh, uh, now this news about Bernie and the fact that Warren and Sanders are both sort of fighting for that progressive, you know, progressive side of the party. It, it seems to me that this has uh, this has kind of help to move Warren in a position where I, I wouldn't call her the presumptive favorite. But if you look at the uh, prediction markets, uh, I pulled them up just uh, just before we started mm -hmm. to go on. Right now, uh, she's at uh, a share. A share for Warren is 52 cents and a share for Biden is 21. He's the second. So <laughs> the, the markets certainly seem to think that she is the clear favorite. The trend sure makes her look like the clear favorite uh, or not the clear favorite, but sure looks positive for her more than anyone else. And uh, uh, it, clearly it's not Warren's race to lose at this point. But if I were in, in any of these candidates position, I think right now I'd want to be Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I, I actually so I actually pulled up the numbers because I didn't know all the numbers. I knew that she had done well. Um, so, you know, Sanders was the clear front runner in terms of earnings, third quarter earnings at twenty five point three million. But she wasn't far behind. No. Twenty four point six million. Yep. So she was she was just a little, you know, hop, skip and a jump down. And then followed by I thought I would see Biden, but it was Buttigieg with yeah, nineteen point one mm -hmm. million. He's become a bit of a darling with with the heavyweight donors on the Democratic side. I figured you'd enjoy hearing that. Yeah, well, and then, you know, it, yeah, well, it's weird because, you know, it, I saw it that too with Biden in fourth. And I thought, well, hey, if Biden falters, Buttigieg is sort of probably in the best position to kind of take that up and run sort of a little bit to the right of Warren and Sanders. But, but of course, if, you know, if, if Bernie keeps on faltering, basically, you, well, you can see a scenario in which this becomes uh, a two person race. And I think this is probably what Buttigieg, what Buttigieg is hoping is that Biden continues to falter and there are all these questions circling around. And all of a sudden, some of the money that was going to Biden, the kind of more centrist money drifts a little bit and support drifts to Buttigieg. But his problem has been not so much getting the money, but his support has kind of stayed clearly second tier. He hasn't been able to move up a whole lot right. in the polls. And my guess would be this this next debate that happens on October 15th, there are 12 people on the stage. Totally ridiculous, right? Not a debate. <laughs> but but after that, we're going to start to see the great winnowing. And, and if I'm the Buttigieg campaign, I'm thinking, OK, once we clear out all the deadwood, after, you know, this October 15th debate, then we're maybe set up to make a run for moving up into the top tier in the debate that follows after that, I would think. So that, that yeah. would be my guess as to their strategy there. And certainly they have enough money to be buying the ads and trying to position themselves. 
Right. And, I, you know, it's it's um, I was talking about this with a, a friend of mine who's also a Republican. And we were saying, well, if we were if we were thinking like Democrats and we were approaching the next debate with uh, with the, you know, 900 people that are going to be up on. I think those big debates on either side are just it's just like almost too much to pay attention to, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you're the Buttigieg campaign, for example, you're looking at Joe Biden because he he's you know, he shares in a lot of those policy issues, things like that. What it's really going to come down to is personality, because at this point, Biden's history, especially with all the questions, you know, that that have come about with the Ukraine and his son. And there are other things, too, that have come into play. Um, you know, he's had some he's always been particularly prone to gaffes, you know, the corn pop. It, you know, all, all these things have sort yep. of come up in the last few months. He's prone to this. Judge is not necessarily prone to this. He's pretty sharp. Um, I actually thought he would do better at the debates than he has. And I watched I watched the debates with a lot of interest, mainly for him. I wanted he's a political newcomer. I know nothing about him. And as a Republican, I'm like, oh, should I be afraid of this guy? I thought he would do better. I, I, I had kind of hoped he would do better just from a, you know, from a from a yeah. democracy standpoint, you know, give these people a run for their money. And I, I he didn't. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to Sanders and Warren, um, you know, with the two of them being so close in terms of support and fundraising, the Sanders thing just could not have come at a worse time for him. Again, if I'm thinking like, a you know, a Democrat who supports Sanders. Yeah. But a lot of their policies are relatively indistinguishable from one another. So, again, it comes down to personality. And ultimately, they are going to be facing you know, President Trump, who is, you know, has a cult of personality all his own. And he um, raised a staggering amount of money with the RNC, yeah. $125 million in the third quarter, because he's been using all of this talk about impeachment and everything. He's been using it to his advantage. Yep. And it's scaring Republicans, you know. So I think whereas the Democratic candidates have been eclipsed by a lot of this Im- impeachment you know, all of these proceedings, they've lost some steam in the media. Um, some of them have managed to sort of twist and turn it really nobody better than than Bernie Sanders. That's what he's he's good at messaging. And, you know, he he knows his base. He knows he gets a lot of small donations from a lot of supporters. The same thing happened in 2016. And so he's been able to leverage the impeachment just like Donald Trump has conversely. So I think maybe if like Warren Buttigieg, maybe Biden should stay out of it. But, you know, maybe if Warren Buttigieg and maybe the others were able to do that in a meaningful way, they'd be able to raise more money. Yeah. I mean, after after Biden, it's, you know, Harris at eleven point six million is the next. So there's a pretty big divide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, a lot, some people have been making note of of Andrew Yang kind of he's slowly rising, but not That's by nothing yeah. to shake a stick no. at, you know. But I think that Andrew Yang is not going to be the nominee. I feel no. fairly confident uh, about that. Uh, and uh, but you know, you mentioned the Donald Trump and the RNC, and of course, once there is a Democratic nominee, money's going to pour into oh, that yeah, nominee. Yeah. But but another point to make is if you take a look at the last couple of presidential elections, I mean, it's pretty clear that that money essentially the analogy I like to make all the time is is it's kind of like oxygen. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient to win an election in 2016 Donald Trump's campaign raised uh, $247 million to Hillary Clinton raising almost $500 million. And uh, obviously we know the result of that. (laughs) Even back in 2012 though, uh, Romney's campaign raised $446 million, Obama's $715 million. But overall, considering outside money, Mitt Romney actually Romney money was a little higher, like $1.24 billion versus $1.12 billion. And so the candidate with the most money doesn't necessarily win. There's a lot of other things going going on there. But certainly, if you, you know, if you can't raise that money, you're not going to be a serious, a serious contender. And Donald Trump, of course, and this is kind of odd because he gets so much free publicity. And not only that, but money is more important to people who aren't as well known to get their names out there. Whereas if you're Donald Trump, I mean, pretty much it's hard to believe that there are people who are saying Donald who, and oh, I don't know how I feel about Donald Trump. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of difficult to, to imagine that sort of thing. I think. Yeah. But, I think um, it's funny. I was, uh, I was with my kids the other day and my youngest said to me, who's the most famous person in the world? 
And I thought, I thought, oh, that's a really interesting question. It's such a kid question, you know, but I, I started uh-huh. thinking about it. And he was like, I think it's Donald Trump. And this, I mean, this is a kid who he doesn't know politics from, you know, anything yeah. else in his life. And it, certainly, you know, we talk about it a lot at home. But I, I make a, a concerted effort not to sway my children in any direction. They're young. They don't understand. They'll make up their minds, you know, when yep. they get older. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. And I asked him why. I said, you know, why do you think it's Donald Trump? I, I, I may agree with you, but, you know, why do you think it's Donald Trump? And he was like, it's just everything is always all about yep. Donald Trump. And he's right. So he gets all this free publicity. There's a tremendous amount of energy on, on you know, behind him in his campaign. And he has a tremendous amount of energy for better or worse. I mean, you know, he's he good, bad, wh- wh- however you feel about him. He, that's where the energy is. There's a there's yep. still that fire there. And so, you know, you would have to be on on the left, you know, again, thinking like a Democratic strategist, you would want want a candidate who was able to capture that sort of energy. I mean, it wasn't Hillary Clinton in 2016. And I think that was a fatal flaw in her campaign was she just couldn't capture that kind of enthusiasm. Sanders may have been able to do it in 2016, which is why I've told you that, uh, you know, I I fear his I feared at one point his campaign a lot because there was a tremendous amount of energy behind him. But, you know, with this health scare, like we discussed, um, you know, it, it's yeah. I don't know, it yeah. sort of hangs in the balance. Will Warren or Biden be able to capture that kind of energy? I don't know. Yeah. And Warren always, always struck me as kind of a much wonkier Sanders with less sort of that yes. personal magnetism. So she has a plan for everything. And, and a lot of people on the left are obviously enthusiastic about her. But it's not the same sort of visceral enthusiasm that I think I felt and still feel a lot of people have for, for Bernie, you know, and it's a very different kind of thing. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the presidential election prediction markets, the number one person still is Donald Trump. Uh, a share of Donald yeah. Trump is 41 cents, Elizabeth Warren 35, and then Joe Biden at 14 cents. So the, at least the people who are putting their money where their prediction is still think that Donald Trump has a slight edge to win re-election. And I think that's something it's easy for those of us on the left to think, well, my God, after everything that's happened and the <laughs> fact that demographic changes favor the Democrats and the fact that how can you possibly have seen the last X years, number of years and not want to just run this guy out of town on a rail? How is it? How is it not possible? How is it even possible that that he could win a second term? But, you know, it's it, it's entirely possible, which is why it's important to keep that in mind. You know, incumbent presidents uh, in recent history have done very well, especially when the economy's doing well. And, you know, the jobs mm-hmm. report came out, unemployment's at a 50-year low. And so mm-hmm. all these things weigh into it. And it's important for us to step out of our hyper-political inside the beltway sort of bubbles and look around and see all the Trump Pence bumper stickers and all that enthusiasm on that end of things. So I can envision a world very easily uh, to my in great dismay that has Donald Trump uh, with with another with another term in office. And that that scares the scares yeah. the heck out of me, I got to say. No, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I feel the same again. It's it's, you know, the flip side of the coin. I, I feel the same way when I think about like a President Sanders or a President Biden yeah. or a President Warren. The thought of that scares me so much. You know, the things that they're saying make no sense to somebody who's a fiscal. I, I consider myself a pretty strong fiscal conservative in, in particular. And I think to myself, oh, my gosh, you know what they're saying makes no sense. How can it make sense to anybody? And I'm and I'm not saying, you know, it's, we're so quick to point fingers and call each other names. And I don't think it's because anyone's stupid or smart or not as smart. We just have different worldviews. Sure. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying, oh, how could you see this as a good thing? How could you see this as not a threat, you know, to, to our to our society, especially in, in, in our economy, which is doing so well. Yeah. But again, I have to step out of that and I have to say, you know, it's I I, I actually I, I, I well, I don't agree with what you're saying. I totally get it. Because I've yeah. been in, in that position. I was in that position with President Obama. I saw yeah. things happening left and right and thought, oh, man, how yeah. come people don't see what I'm seeing? But it's again, it's it's that it's that worldview and that biased perspective that that forces us into these camps and separates us further. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the dream scenario on the left is pretty clearly where Sanders or Warren gets elected and uh, there's sort of a there's sort of a, a 
blue wave that not only you, not yeah. only the Democrats keep their House majority, but they win a Senate majority. And then the first thing the new Democratic majority does is they get rid of the filibuster. And all of a sudden now the decks are cleared for all kinds of what I would see as largely awesome awesome things but that would just make you just you know just cringe essentially Shaking my, it, my boots yes <laughs> it, it, it would be exactly like how you know the, for me the only thing that's prevented the country from just descending into just utter awfulness is the fact that there was enough of a congressional check on this president's <laughs> awful policies and the, my my great lament obviously is there's been no check on the judicial nominations which which is a huge issue and it would be the same thing just in reverse for you obviously and it would be one thing i did want to mention that you mm-hmm. know you talked about how biden with all these allegations and things like that and i could hear a lot of biden folks saying and i you know i kind of count myself in that camp because I think that he would probably make the most effective president of all of the candidates, just because I think his understanding of the process and his understanding of what's realistic, what's doable, and what isn't is much better than anyone else in the in the field, with maybe the exception of someone like a Cory Booker, who's not gonna not gonna be the nominee to my to, to my uh, disappointment, but. You know, that idea that they have these allegations. Yeah, sure. They're they're unfounded and they seem to be just completely spurious, I would say. And I would agree. But it doesn't matter because once they're out there, I mean, if nothing else, the Trump administration has demonstrated to me that if you lie often enough and loud enough, enough people are going to say, well, I don't know. I heard. And, you know, mm-hmm. a big lie repeated often enough at least puts mm. doubt into people's minds. And that's where we are with Joe Biden. And so that's why I think that his chances of being the nominee are a lot less now than they were a couple of weeks ago, even though I don't think he's done anything wrong. You know, in fact, just the opposite. But that in the world of politics, that doesn't necessarily matter. Well, I, you know, just to take off of what you said, where in the world of politics, it doesn't matter. I agree. And I and I think that, um, you know, I've worked on a on uh, several campaigns and campaigns are all about optics. And I mentioned this before with impeachment. I do believe that, you know, and I've, I've said it before, Pelosi is somebody who understands optics very well and she understands strategy very well, which is why I think a lot of Republicans were surprised when she moved forward with all of this, you know, with this inquiry, this pre-inquiry inquiry, because she seemed to be you know, staving it off for as long as she could, which was smart, I think. But she ultimately decided to go, to move forward with it. I think probably she was getting internal pressure um, from, you know, the more left-leaning members of the Democratic yeah. Party in the House. But I think probably, um, you know, one, one of the more interesting things is that this is all about optics. And so, again, if you can tie impeachment, the word impeachment, even though people don't know really what it means sometimes or, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such an inscrutable concept for most people to understand. I've even had to research it and I, I felt like I did understand, but I didn't, you know. So if you can tie those two together, it creates this extremely negative optic. I think that's what they're thinking. I think that's the strategy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what she's thinking. And I think it's the same thing on the on the right, because for a long time, and I'm the first one to admit that Democrats have had their optics game together. I mean, they've done such a good job of um, you know, managing optics within campaigns and messaging and stuff like that. Obama, the Obama campaign was masterful at doing that. And they did a wonderful job. He was fa- fabulous on the campaign trail. But Donald Trump's campaign team is sort of taking a page from this Democratic optics messaging, I guess, manual and applying it with the whole Biden Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Ukraine thing. And I and I absolutely think that in turn, that's what they're doing. And I think that's why we're seeing huge fund, fundraising numbers in the yeah. third quarter for him, because they've been able to do it. So if absolutely. I was a Democrat, I'd be nervous about that because that's yeah. that's not looking good. And, you know, whether or not is Biden expendable? That's the other that's been a big debate this week. Is he expendable? And for someone like you who sees him as a the most logical choice or the, the person who could possibly, you know, become the nominee and has the experience to actually do the job, that would be really frightening for for me if I was to think that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know I know we're running kind of long, but I thought we could end on sort of a prediction. You know, Jay has been saying for a long time now that he thinks that the House will vote 
to impeach the president. And I, I will say right now that given what I've heard, I have come up, I have come over to Jay's to Jay's perspective on this. And I agree that the House will and I think should vote to impeach uh, Donald Trump. And I believe then when it goes over for a trial in the Senate, which Mitch McConnell said he would, in fact, hold, he wouldn't try to defer it or anything mm-hmm. like that. I believe that there will be a uh, a motion to dismiss that, which which the Republicans, you know, certainly can offer. And that motion will uh, that motion will not be that will not get a majority in the Senate. There will be at least one, maybe two, I might get a slight majority. I think there'll be at least one or two Republicans who will vote to not just outright dismiss that motion, which is different, obviously, from voting to convict and remove the president. But I think like a Romney or a Collins, when it comes down to a vote, are going to say, no, I think we should actually have the trial. And but if it actually came to a trial, I don't know, they'd actually vote to uh, vote to convict and remove. But that's how I think it's all going to end. I think it's going to end with a successful Republican motion to dismiss the charges against Donald Trump in the Senate, which at least I predict one or maybe two Republicans will vote against. But there'll still be enough votes for that to carry. That's uh, that's my prediction. How do you see this playing out, Kristen? I know it's kind of just totally speculative, but what the heck? Um, I, I actually see it playing out pretty similarly. I'm not, I'm not as sure that it's going, that, that, you know, the idea of impeachment is going to move through the house is as easily as you are, but I predict that it will probably happen. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not willing to obviously like put, sign my name to it or anything like that, sure. because I do think you have a lot of red state uh, Democrats who are waffling. I've heard a lot of, especially like in local papers, which I love reading local papers and I don't do it enough. I wish I did more of it, but I've been doing it because I wanted to see what these sort of big name red state Democrats were saying. And they're, they're hesitant. And I understand why, you know, even though we may agree with it or we may not agree with it, they're looking at possibly being, you know, being voted out um, very soon. So, you know, I don't think it's a surefire thing. I think it'll probably move through the House because I think there's enough energy behind it and enough disdain for Donald Trump. You know, I think a lot of them were prepared to impeach him before any of this even began. I think they would have voted. So it's, you know, I think it'll move through in in the Senate. I think it'll be stymied. I think it will stop. I think there'll be a successful motion to dismiss as well. And, um, you know, most of the Republicans and Democrats I know um, who, you know, are are aware of what's going on sort of feel this way. So I don't think it's like a, you know, a terribly controversial view. But again, I think this is about optics. Yeah, so. without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we, we ran up, we ran a little bit, a little bit no, long, okay. but we, we have more stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and we have more to talk about. In fact, uh, on the, uh, on the special supporters after show bonus show, I think, uh, this week we are going to be talking about, well, the, uh, we didn't get to the FCC's net neutrality ruling, which is, mm-hmm. I think, or sorry, the judge, the federal courts ruling on that. And I think that's kind of an important story that we could, we could talk about maybe a little bit on the bonus show, uh, along with, uh, uh, a really kind of interesting story about how California has passed this law that will would allow college athletes to benefit from endorsement deals. And now there's actually a proposal potentially in Congress to make that national. And that I that's uh, that should be a lot of fun to talk about, I think. So we will be doing that in the bonus show, folks. If you are a supporter, that should be in your podcast feed by the time you hear this. And if you're not a supporter and you'd like to hear it, as well as, by the way, the quick take this week, which Will has, has put together for you, well, just go to politicsguys.com slash support and sign up. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. There's our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, it would really help us out. We would appreciate it. As well as if you can let people know about the show, uh, word of mouth is, is always really great advertising for us. All right. The executive producers of the Politics Guys, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, and Daniel Toe. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski and Kristen Matheny. We will be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.